But even in that instance, this was a very uh, limited thing in the sense that everybody in the nation didn't know about it. Think about the Israelites at this time. They were under the Roman rule. who They had been subjected to the Roman authorities. And so they were having to obey a pagan dictator who thought of himself as God. And they were the ones who were supposedly worshiping the one true God. And yet couldn't see him, didn't know what was happening, hadn't heard from him. There was, of course, plenty of sin, and, and uh, as they became very just focused on themselves and carrying on their religious things that didn't seem to be making much of a difference in the world. And in fact, it's as if there was a, uh, this big yearning and groaning and desire for this Messiah to come. Now, of course, when Jesus did arrive on the scene... Many failed to recognize who he was, that he was the Messiah. In fact, the same religious leaders who claimed to be looking for the Messiah then rejected the Messiah when he did come, and even to this day. But tonight, as we take a, another psalm and study it together, I want us to look at Psalm 74. This psalm has been used and read and studied and sung and, and talked about as this lament or this uh, great desire that uh, the songwriter is speaking about. In fact, the title of the psalm, it says, A Mashil or a Maskil of Asaph, which is literally meaning a, uh, almost a very sad or somber type of poem that was being written really with a cry to the Lord. And I think it's very fitting because even in our day and age today that we live in, there are, is an emptiness to many people. There's a, a seeking and a yearning for something greater, for something special, for some answers to life's problems. And I think we can see some great hope in Psalm 74, even as it's a very kind of serious and somber kind of psalm. And tonight our message is, this is the title, Reasons to Rejoice. Sometimes I think we kind of have to force ourselves or kind of make ourselves rejoice, even though we may not feel like rejoicing very much. Sometimes even around a holiday, people can get like that. Well, everybody's happy, but I'm not happy. Or maybe we go through times in our life, even if it's coming to a church on Sunday, when others seem to be rejoicing, and yet I'm not rejoicing. And Psalm 74, I think, while it's a cry to God, also has some great reminders for us and challenges to us of why we can rejoice in the Lord. Let's begin by reading Psalm 74, verses 1 through 11. He cries out to God and he says, O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Now, that's an interesting question because had God cast them off forever? No, he hadn't. And yet, Sometimes, especially when you're going through a struggle, we, we get almost uh, very dramatic in our speech. God, it seems like you never do this, or this always happens to me. Every time I try to do right, this happens instead. And we start using words like every and all and, and never in very extreme terms. And that's what he says here. God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why dost thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture. Verse 2, remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which 
thou hast redeemed. This Mount Zion where thou hast dwelt, lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their ensigns for signs. A man was famous according as he had lifted up axes against upon the thick trees. But now they break down the carved work thereof at once with axes and hammers. They have cast fire into thy sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, Let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet. They felt like there was no one to speak truth to them. He said, neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. We've had no prophet to tell us how long we're going to have to wait until things get better. Oh God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom. When you feel like God has cast you off or there is nowhere to be found, it is important to rejoice and remember that God has redeemed you. Notice in verse 2, he says, Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old. He repeats that idea when he says, The rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed. To be redeemed means to be purchased or to be bought back. And God had redeemed His people from their bondage. God had brought them out of slavery and given them a promised land. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can rejoice because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That He purchased us with His blood that was shed on the cross. See, the psalmist cries out and says, God, you've cast us off forever. God, your anger is smoking against us like the sheep of your pasture. You're angry with us. And then he says, but God, remember us. You've purchased us. And God has redeemed us. And so as difficulties come, as the emotions of life take us up and down sometimes, we need to rejoice in remembering that God has redeemed us. And we see that picture even as God demonstrated this very much to us. Uh, Romans 5.8 says it this way, God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the birth of of our Savior Jesus Christ is a reminder and a fulfillment of God's promise to us that He will redeem us from our sin. And He will redeem us, purchase us from the bondage that we face in this world. So when I'm struggling, when I feel like God is nowhere to be found or that God has cast me off, I can remember that God purchased me, that He has redeemed me from my sin. And this is what the psalmist is crying out to God. God, remember that you purchased me. He says, lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations. 
He starts pointing out all the things that the enemy has done to break down God's work. He talks about how the enemy has burned up the places where God's work is done. He talks about the enemy breaking down the uh, sanctuary. He talks about him taking axes and hammers and breaking down the carved work. They were destroying the temple that had been built for the worship of God. We can see today, even as, as wicked people would desire to destroy the things of God, to remove the symbols and signs of God in the land, to even make illegal what's what once was legal in the worship of God, to take away, to try to take God out of the public square or out of the political arena, try to take God out of the culture. We can look at those things and say, wow, it just seems like everywhere we look, God is losing. He talks about how the enemy would burn up, and he talks about how he's burned up all the synagogues, all the places where the people would meet to hear about teaching of God. It seemed like those places were burned up. This is, I think, a good application for this. We look around today, we see churches closing, we see fewer missionaries on the field, we see fewer people in Christian service, and fewer people gathered together to worship God. I read an article just this week of there was a study done of the Southern Baptist Convention, which there are many of those churches around us, and how in the past 20 years they have had a reduction in their overall attendance of all their churches across the country of 20,000 people. And yet in that same period of time, they have reported 7.5 million salvations and baptisms. And the art title article was, How Do You Lose 7 Million People? So we, we can look at the situation of the culture today and say, it seems like God is losing. It seems like Christianity is on the retreat and on the decline. And I would say to us today, that's nothing new. The children of Israel struggled with the same types of things. And so when the problems look bleak and when things look dark and we're not sure where to turn, we can rejoice because God has redeemed us. And when He's purchased us, He never goes back and exchanges us for anything else. He never goes back and returns us when we're worn out and says, give me a different model. I, I don't like that one anymore. He never throws away something that he has purchased. It's his. We are his and he is ours. He asked the question in verse 10, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? It's a great rhetorical question because the answer is, no, the enemy won't blaspheme the name of the Lord forever. Because one day, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we can rejoice knowing that God has redeemed us, that He has purchased us, and we can take great hope even when things seem dark, even when it may feel like God has cast you off, as he says in verse 1, or that God is nowhere to be found. But secondly, I see in this psalm 
not only the fact that we can rejoice because God has redeemed us, but also we can rejoice because God is our King of old. Back and read verse 11. I think he asks an interesting question, and when we put it in the modern vernacular, it brings a very interesting picture as he describes God in verse 11. He says, Why withdrawest thou thy hand? Even thy right hand, pluck it out of thy bosom. So the right hand was a symbol of strength, was a symbol of God's power, of God's authority. This was the hand that the king would use to extend his scepter and a symbol of his authority. And he says, God, why have you withdrawn your hand? God, why have you removed your hand? And he says, pluck it out of thy bosom. It's as if he's saying, God, you've taken your hand and it's in your pocket. You're not doing anything. Kind of like a guy standing around with his hands in his pockets. Not much good on the job site, are they? You've got to have your hands out to do something. You don't want a soldier who stands around with his hands in his pockets. He's not ready to defend. He's not ready to fight. And you definitely don't want a God who stands around with his hands in his pockets. But that's how the psalmist feels. He says, God, t- take your hand out of your bosom. God, why are you just sitting here with your hand tucked away? Why have you withdrawn your hand? Now, has God really withdrawn his hand? Are God's hands really in his pockets? No, they're not. And yet, there may be times in life where it feels as if that is true. So if you're facing a time like that, or you do face that in the future, we can rejoice because God is your king of old. Look at verse 12. He says, for God is my king of old. That means he's always been my king, and he will continue to be my king. He's my king. He says, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. This is not a king who no longer has power. This is not a king that's withdrawn his hand and put it, put it in his bosom. God has not put his hand in his pocket. And he reminds himself of that truth and he rejoices that he's been king of old. And he looks back to the history of the nation of Israel and he says, I remember, God, when you divided the sea. Do you remember that? Exodus chapter 14. The children of Israel walk up to the Red Sea. There's no way across it. The Egyptian army is behind them. And God splits the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. So when it feels like God may have taken his hand back, that God has withdrawn his hand, that he has put it into his bosom, into his pocket, we can remember that our God is the king. He is my king of old. He's a personal king and he is a king who is present with us he has been he is and he will continue to be our king he talks about some of the other things that God did God you divided the sea by your strength he said thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters thou breakest the heads of leviathan in pieces the Egyptian nation was sometimes personified as a dragon If you remember what happened to Pharaoh and his armies, they followed the children of Israel into the Red Sea. And as the children of Israel exited the Red Sea on the other side, God did withdraw his hand that had been holding back the sea. And the water came crashing down and destroyed 
Pharaoh and his armies. And this is what the psalmist is writing about in poetic form in a language that would speak a a very vivid picture as God took this sea creature, this Leviathan, these dragons in the waters, and he broke them in pieces. Oh, and if that wasn't enough, the psalmist then looks back to how God cared for his children in the wilderness and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. God took care of his people. He led them out of Egypt, where they were enslaved, through the Red Sea on dry ground, took them out into the wilderness. When they thought there was no water, he gave them water out of a rock. When they thought there was no food, he caused manna to appear on the ground in the morning. When they thought there was no meat, he caused birds to fly, quail so low that they could just knock them out of the air and eat them. God has taken care of his people. Rejoice, because your God is your king of old. So when you feel like God has his hands in his pockets, remember, he's your king. He had power to do things in the past, and he has power to do what he wants today. God hasn't lost his power. And if he had power to save you in the past, redeem you in the past, if he had power to create the world, (coughs) if he had power to do everything that he's done, we can continue to rejoice in his continued ability to accomplish his plan. As we keep reading in this psalm, though, I think there's a third reason we can see to rejoice. Look at me, verses 15 to 17, please. It says, Thou didst cleave the fountain and the flood, thou driest up mighty rivers. The day is thine, the night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. Thou hast set all the borders of the earth. Thou hast made summer and winter. So when you feel like God has cast you off or is nowhere to be found, you can rejoice because God's redeemed you. When you feel like God may have removed his hand and put his hand in his pocket, you can rejoice because God is your king of old. And when you feel like God is not demonstrating his control, you can rejoice because God is Lord over his creation. You see that here in verse 14 or on verse 15? God, you've cleaved the fountain and the flood. God can make it flood when it's time to flood. God can break up the earth and cause the flood on the earth. We've been studying Noah and his flood on Sunday nights. God can make things dry and he can make things wet. He dried up the mighty river. Do you remember the Jordan River when he dried that up? He stopped it and caused the rest of it to flow away. So they walked through on dry ground. He continues on speaking of God's control, his lordship over creation, because he controls the water, yes, but he also controls the day and the night, the light and the dark. Verse 16, the day is thine, the night also is thine. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go down a couple more verses, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God divided the light from the dark, and the evening and the morning were the first day. For God to have light and for God to have dark, all He had to do was say, Let there be light. 
When the children of Israel were going through the wilderness again as they approached the Red Sea, remember he went before them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Remember when they got to the Red Sea, he took that pillar that was in front of them leading them and he removed behind them, causing it to be dark and cloudy and foggy so the Egyptians could not see and caused it to be bright light for the children of Israel to be able to see so they could cross on dry ground. The day is thine, the night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. All of creation fits in God's hand. And it's all in His control. We can rejoice because God is Lord over His creation. And it doesn't stop there. Verse 17, Thou hast set all the borders of the earth. All the continents are right where they're supposed to be because God has put them there. The mountains are where they're supposed to be because God has put them there. And even the seasons, thou hast made summer and winter. God controls the seasons, the, all of the things that take place, all of the storms that pass by, they're all in His hand. He is the Lord of the storm. He is the Lord over creation. And when you feel like, well, I'm not sure if God's really in control, we ought to take a step back from our situation and say, wait a minute, but look at all the things God has done with His power. God is completely in control of His creation. Therefore, I can trust that He's completely in control of my situation that I'm facing right now. You see, the Israelites were yearning for this Messiah, this promised one that would come. Later on in the book of Matthew, we read that His name would be called Emmanuel, which meant God with us. They were looking for this coming Messiah, that God would come and dwell with them. And as they looked at their situation, there was much as an Israelite to cry out about and say, Oh God, why hast thou cast us off? Why have you forsaken us? And the psalmist here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, reminds them they can rejoice because He's redeemed them. They can rejoice because He was their King of old. They can rejoice because He's Lord over His creation and finally, verses 18 through 23, they can rejoice because God always keeps His promises. Sometimes you feel like God has forgotten you, but He says in verse 18, remember this. And when the Bible tells you to remember something, you, you should remember something. Re remember this, what? That the enemy hath reproached, O Lord, and that the foolish people blaspheme Thy name. God, remember this, as if God could have forgotten, as if God doesn't already know. It's kind of funny, isn't it, that the psalmist is trying to remind God of something? Although it's not any funnier than we are. But God, don't you understand? God, what are you doing? God, what's going on in my life right now? God knows. The psalmist here is reminding God, God, remember this. Verse 19, Oh, deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove unto the multitude of the wicked. We're just like a little bitty birdie over here, God. Take care of us. Forget not the congregation of thy poor forever. God, don't forget us. As if God would ever forget his children. Have respect unto the covenant. God, don't forget you promised 
For the dark places of the earth are full of the habitation of cruelty. I think verse 20 speaks a lot to me because sometimes we may wonder, God, did you forget your promise? And yet, because all I can see around me is all the dark places, all the cruelty, all the wickedness, all the bad things. Sometimes the physical stuff that we can see and that we can feel and that we can touch and sense physically become more real to us than the God that we can't see. And so a relationship with God is learning how to sense and to feel and to understand and to see God at work and that He would become more real to us and more powerful to us than all that other wicked stuff that we can see around us. Because that, those things, though, that wicked stuff, all of those things will pass away. The Bible says even in heaven and earth will pass away. But God's word will never pass away. God will never pass away. He always keeps His promises. He says in verse number 21, Oh, let not the, the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy praise Thy name. Arise, O God, plead Thine own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproacheth Thee daily. Forget not the voice of Thine enemies. The tumult of those that rise up against Thee increaseth continually. Over and over in these last several verses, he cries out to God. God, remember this. God, don't forget this. God, help me with this. God, you promised this. We can rejoice because God always keeps his promises. He's saying, God, realize people have done wicked things. People have reproached you. There's a promise God made. He said this, vengeance is mine. I will repay saith the Lord. So if we're crying out to God, God, don't you realize people are reproaching your name? Don't worry, God will keep His promises. You can rejoice. God will take care of that situation. Too often, though, we try to take care of ourselves. God says, no, that's mine. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. He tells God, have respect unto the covenant. God, remember what you've promised. Verse number 21, let the poor and needy praise thy name. Verse 23, forget not the voice of thine enemies. God won't forget. God will remember. God always keeps his promises. Every single word that is spoken is known by God. Psalm 139 verse 4 says, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I want us, as we finish up our study tonight, before we go to prayer, to sing one more Christmas song. This song is not a, not a upbeat tune. It's rather more in a minor key. Because I think it's trying to capture that sense of desire for God to come and for God to do His work, and, and yet the problems of the world around us. And maybe you know this song, O Come, O Come. 
Emmanuel. And uh, there's several verses of it. I think we have five up here to sing together tonight. So I want you to think about the words as we sing this together. Let's look at the words to the first verse if we can here. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Pay the ransom for captive Israel. The next slide says this, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Well, what's the chorus say then? Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us shall come to thee, O Israel. Let's sing this song together. We'll sing all the verses that we have here. Let's start at the beginning. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou rod of Jesse, Free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save. And give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou, day spring, come and chief our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night. And death's dark shadows put to fly. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou key of David, come. And open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high. And close the path of misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's high 
in ancient times give the law in cloud and majesty and awe rejoice rejoice Emmanuel shall come to thee O Israel Amen. Great singing. I hope that Maybe even in singing that song, it means a little bit more to you as you think about the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that it's so much more than just a baby being born, or just a fun time with decorations that comes around once a year, or even a chance to give gifts to the one that we love. But rather, it's a fulfillment of God's promise throughout all of history that he would send a Messiah. That when it felt like God had forsaken them, that God had forgotten about them, that God was removing his hand and no longer showing his power, God didn't have any control and his enemies were all attacking him. But we can rejoice because we truly can experience God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. He's redeemed us. He's been our king of old. He's Lord over his creation. And he always keeps his promises. And uh, that's the kind of God I want to serve. And that's the kind of God I'm looking forward to praying to tonight. He's my God. And I hope he's yours as well. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Even as we take some time here to pray. To turn our hearts and our minds and our burdens over to you. 